Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Match day, stoppage time, midweek, Atlanta United is on the road, not at Yankee Stadium, thankfully. They are at Red Bull Arena to face New York City FC tonight. Sunday, the Red Bulls come to town. It is a busy time in the Atlanta United universe, Mike. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to kind of mentally reframe now to Atlanta United. I just watched that Sweden-Poland match. Oh. What a what a fun match that was. Maybe the match of the tournament so far. Was hoping uh, Poland would find a way in. I've I've been very frustrated with Sweden's defensive tactics. I've sworn off of IKEA for a month. Yeah, yeah. well, um, it, Poland really should have had it. To yeah. be honest with you, they had they had a couple goals ruled out um, that were really, really, really close. Um, great match, phenomenal match. But anyhow, you're right. We do have Atlanta United tonight at New York City at Red Bull Arena and then Atlanta United on Sunday plays Red Bulls at Atlanta. And I'm going to admit that I'm still kind of mixing that up. <laughs> Even on match day a little bit. So bear with me if I mix it up today. Uh send us your questions and your comments at the bottom of your screen. Yeah, it's a it's a busy week for Atlanta United. Three matches in an 8-day span. And uh, this one's going to be the toughest of the three, in my opinion. No disrespect to Philadelphia, but you played on Sunday and then you had to travel. You did travel yesterday, but you played Sunday, travel, played tonight on the road. Uh, and then at least you get to come back home and, and play in your own building on, on Sunday. But Atlanta United's opponent tonight, New York City, played Saturday mm -hmm. and did not travel. So essentially, if you're looking at it on a head-to-head -head basis, New York City really has two extra days of rest in the reservoir compared to Atlanta United. Ronnie Dyla has also spoken openly about how he uh, is looking at doing at least some rotation tonight with his team. They're in the same spot as Atlanta United. They're dealing with match compression right now. I think pretty much the whole league's playing tonight, by the way, yeah. uh, other than obviously Orlando and San Jose who played last night. Um, so Ronnie Dyla is talking about rotating. We don't really think, or at least I don't think Heinze is all about rotating much. Um, so it just makes you wonder a little bit where Atlanta United's going to be with energy and fatigue tonight. Uh, and if they could be at risk of having it happen again, unfortunately in the final 10 minutes where they've 
they've fallen apart a little bit in their last two matches late. So that's kind of the, the scene set for tonight's match. I do think Atlanta United is going to rotate a little bit because they can. Uh, it wouldn't be rotating for the sake of rotating yeah. to yeah. put Alan Franco into the starting lineup tonight. Uh, in place of Miles Robinson or Anton Walks. That's not rotation for the sake of rotation. That's uh, that's a matchup-oriented move to put in someone who could be a little bit fresher. Wouldn't be shocked if you saw Jake Mulraney playing on the right wing tonight as a starter. Um, again, came off the bench rather late against Philadelphia. Should be relatively fresh. That's not rotating for the sake of rotating. That's rotating because he can do some things matchup-wise that would give you the flexibility then to either put Eric Lopez up top, maybe as a nine, or bring on Eric Lopez as a sub. So again, there's a difference between rotating because you feel like you have to uh, and rotating because it could be advantageous to you. And I I don't look at that really as a full squad rotation anyway. We're talking about two or maybe three players changed out. I, I think for the most part, the group tonight, Jason, is going to look very, very similar to the group that Atlanta United had on Sunday. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, it's a little bit different tactic tonight because New York City will likely be in some variation of a, a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 or 4-1-4-1, wherever you want to go with it. It's it's one up top, uh, most likely Tati Castellanos because he's really the only one they have up top with Eber. Uh, coming off of injury, he's not ready yet. He's still dealing with a, an ACL. So Tati Castellanos is the only true forward that New York City has. Maxi Morales could play it as a false nine. Jesus Medina could play it as a false nine. But Castellanos is the only true number nine that they have. So it's hard for them to really truly play two up top. If Morales or Medina or somewhere to Joy Schrade is in a forward role, they're naturally going to drop off. So that means Atlanta will likely be looking at a four-man back line, two center backs as opposed to three, Sosa in the holding midfield role and and such, the, the, the rotations that we expect in that regard. Um, one thing that does make me think that Gabriel Heinze is at least thinking about the amount of minutes his team's about to play in a week is what he said after the match about Franco Ibarra and the substitution that he made to bring on Alan Franco, uh, thinking about fatigue and minutes and and risk of injury and those kinds of things. I think that is because he wants Ibarra in this match against a a New York City team that could, depending on how they structure their their midfield three, we've seen it in almost every variation it could be. You could very easily play Maxi Morales and Jesus Medina as two number 10s to attack minded central midfielders in front of an Alfredo Morales. Um, you could play two holding and one attacking. You could do a little bit of, of what they did on the weekend when they played very well but lost to New England, where it was almost like a 4-3-2-1 kind of, with, with Morales and Medina sitting behind Castellanos. Um, or you could call that a 4-1-4-1, depending on how you want to look at it. Like It, it was... It could go a lot of different directions here. So Franco Ibarra, as we've talked about the season gives you some of that flexibility because he's more of a defensively-minded central midfielder who can get out and join the attack. I think every time it seems like we see Badra 
he's more comfortable on the ball. He creates more. He's more involved in that side of things. He's a very important player for this team, and, and that's a credit to his development and the work that Gabriel Heinze has put in with him. They needed him to be fresh for this match, and that's why he came out when he did. It also gave Alan Franco the opportunity to play. At some point, and I think we know that a point is coming where the Gold Cup roster will be announced, and I would be blown away if Miles Robinson is not on it. That means Alan Franco and Anton Walks will be the starting center back duo for as long as the U.S. is in the Gold Cup, which should be most of July. So that's you're going to have to get Alan Franco ready to go, and that can be building him up. That can be you know slow but steady progress. But he's going to have to play significant minutes and perform in a significant way starting when Miles Robinson goes to the Gold Cup, which, again, I'd be blown away if that doesn't happen. Well, uh, tonight might be a good time to start. Yeah. And, you know, I know some people are suggesting that Alan Franco is somehow a third choice right now at center back. I, mm -hmm. I just I really don't feel that way at all. No, uh, I, I think it's one A, one B, one C right now. And yeah. Anton Walks has played so well that it's going to be very hard to take him out of that grouping right now. Robinson's going to be out of that grouping if he goes to the Gold Cup, which I agree with you. He probably should. Um Alan Franco got hurt. You know, it took him a couple weeks to recover after the injury, but I have very little doubt he can give Atlanta United 90 minutes tonight, uh, and he might have to. But th this is this is one spot right now where Atlanta United really does have the luxury of some depth, and it it it, uh, it really goes beyond Alan Franco. Yes, by the it way, does. it also includes Alex DeJohn. It includes George Campbell. It includes Josh Bauer. Um, Atlanta United center back situation, right? And Bryce Washington, I yeah. guess, could factor into that eventually. Atlanta United center back situation is really, really solid right now. You're not worried about that whatsoever. Um, so I agree. I, I think we're going to see Alan Franco tonight. Uh, let, let's move up top for a moment. And Jake Mulraney, who, again, I just, I feel, I don't know this for sure, but I feel like the way that the staff has been rating Mulraney this year that one of the reasons why Mulraney did not start on Sunday was with an eye towards this match tonight. And I do understand that Heinze will state publicly. Oh, I, I, I'm not thinking about rotating. I'm not a coach that rotates. Uh, I'm focused on the match in front of me. Nothing beyond that. Like I, I get it. And I get that's his messaging. And I, I think he believes parts of that. But it would be irresponsible if you didn't at least consider that, hey, you know, we're going to play on Sunday and then again Wednesday night. And, oh, by the way, that's a road match. So I really do feel like Jake Mulraney being brought on as a substitute on Sunday was a hint, a tip, that he's going to go into the starting lineup tonight. Now, is that for Eric Lopez? I don't know. Uh could it be for someone else? Could the parts move around a little bit in the attacking midfield? I don't know. It would seem like the most logical move would be Mulraney goes in and then either Lopez moves to a different spot of the pitch or comes off and Lopez is the sub tonight. It's very possible. Um, it's going to look a little bit different in, in this one because it's not going to be three center backs. That changes the way kind of everything gets positioned a bit. I think Mulraney playing wide in a 4-3-3 is very comfortable for him, and it's something that he is he's used to, and he can do very well in. Um, 
they have to be as strong in the attack as they were on Sunday, which they were. They, they created a number of chances. Uh, Brooks Lennon was heavily involved on, on that right side as well, and you want to continue to get him forward. One thing that, that Jake Mulraney will need to do, and we talked about it breaking down the, the goals that were conceded, he has to stay switched on defensively. And, and that is an element here with the way Atlanta United will play, where everybody has to do that. Mulraney was a little slow to react to Kai Wagner going forward on that first goal. It opened up the game. It opened up the space. If Mulraney's in, everybody has dual responsibilities, the, the way this game plays out. And, and the forward does as well. We've talked about Kubo Torres, I think, really thriving on that side of the ball. He, he puts in the work. He understands the way the game rotates. He's, he's important in that area. Jake Mulraney will need to do that because one thing that New York City does like to do is they like to get their outside backs forward. Now, they are a little slanted in that, in the way that they do it, and I think this is very important. I'm going to pull up the uh, average positions from New York City's last match, and you can see how it is slanted towards the right side going with Tenerhome who is, is one of the better attacking right backs in the league for assists on the season. You, you want Anton Tenderholm to be involved in the attack if you're Ronnie Dyla. And, and you look at the other side, and Amundsen, the, the left back from Denmark, number 12, he's almost in line with the two center backs. So if Mulraney is on that side, that gives you a little bit more comfortable fit for him or Eric Lopez to stay higher and be able to really focus on that side of the game because you're not going to get as much forward. Now, you do notice in, in this one that they were a little weird in the midfield, and they did surprise a lot of people with starting Magno, who's generally played as a winger, as kind of a central midfielder, but kind of an eight, and he's in a kind of awkward spot there sitting back as well. If Mulraney plays tonight Lopez can do this as well but Mulraney I think is even more dangerous at it because of his 1v1 ability if Mulraney plays tonight and he stays high and wide as we know Atlanta players will Atlanta wingers will it can affect not just the left back from going forward but if Magno for example is in that role which is an unfamiliar role for him he might drop a little bit deeper too and that might actually pin two players back and make New York City even more slanted and when you can get a team unbalanced in that way on a regular basis especially how they defend Atlanta's a team who can take advantage of that because just just look at this average position for a second and think about all right if you play on the right side you pin them on that side their left and then hit the switch, which Atlanta is as good or better than any team in Major League Soccer at hitting that big switch. Look at what Atlanta's left side can do. If it's Marcelino Moreno, if it's Ezekiel Barco, if it's George Bello coming forward, look at what they can do getting in behind Tenerholm. You play on one side to release the other. New York City will give them that opportunity to do that in a really big way with the way that they can get slanted at times. Good breakdown. Uh, you want to take some questions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Shiva, do you think that New York City plays its matches at Atlanta better than any other team we have played so far? And by the way, this is the first time, to, just to hmm. piggyback on what Shiva is saying, first time in almost two full years 
that Atlanta United has played New York City, which is crazy to think about, right? I, yeah. You know, in 2017, 18, and 19, this was one of the more underrated, high-quality, um, I don't even know what I want to call it a rivalry, but just underrated, high-quality series in MLS from 2017 to 19. Uh, and... New York City played to a fantastic draw in May of 2018 at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which I think might be what she was talking about. Atlanta United otherwise has beaten them at the Benz in the 2018 playoffs decisively. Mm -hmm. 2019, if I remember correctly, I think they needed a late winner to win that one. Great um, performance. But it, Great performance. It's a good question. It's, it's a good question by Shiva because uh, I really thought through 2019 – these two teams, for whatever reason, the way they matched up, they always seem to bring out the best in each other. Well, New York City's a, a team that has a heavy South American influence. I don't think they really get talked about in that regard as much, but especially now, you, you look at Medina from Paraguay and, and now Rodriguez from Uruguay, a player that you have to keep an eye on, uh, some Brazilians into the mix as well. It, it feels like New York City starting to figure out what kind of young players they're targeting to bring in and, and City Football Group, I'm sure, with their muscle financially and their scouting department can help determine some of those things. So New York City has good talent, and I think New York City generally tries to play good soccer, and that's been consistent. Uh, Patrick Vieira moving from him to Dolme Torrent, now Ronnie Dyla. I think they have a, an intent to play. And we've seen other teams who don't. So when you get two teams, because Atlanta's always had that intent to play, and you know we, we talk about it all the time, the, the subtle differences between Tata Martino and Frank DeBoer and now Gabriel Heinze, they still want to play. Even, no matter how conservative they get at certain points of the game or certain elements of the game, they all want to play. They want the ball. New York City's always wanted the ball. It makes for a good game. It makes for an entertaining game. Uh, the last time these two teams played, it was not a fun time. It was at Yankee Stadium, uh, September 25th of 2019. It was the game where Sebastian Ibiaga got the start at right back for New York City. It felt like an opportunity to really punish him in that regard, and Atlanta did not. Uh, Tito Vialba had a really bad night at the office, and it was a 4-1 win for NYC. Before that, Atlanta had won three times in a row, including those two playoff matches. So it's been a really good back and forth, but New York City, now they've never played them at Red Bull Arena, where Atlanta hasn't had a lot of success against the Red Bulls, but New York City plays completely differently. New York City at home is 2-1-1 one, one against Atlanta. Yankee Stadium's been a tough place to play. Red Bull Arena has been a tough place to play against the Red Bulls. I don't know how it'll be against New York City tonight. Yeah, Yankee Stadium is just a tough place to play in general for everyone in MLS. Other <laughs> if than you want to play soccer and not kickball, yeah, you're going to struggle on, on a field that is that narrow. I mean, it really is a, a glorified futsal pitch at Yankee Stadium. It's 70 and yards I, wide, Mike. It's 70 yards wide. Yeah, right, sure. Yeah. It's 70. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Except when you look at the hash mark from the corner flag and see where it is in relation to the the start of the 18. Yeah. Not supposed it's to look pretty that. easy to pace off, but I, I guess we're not supposed to look that <laughs> no. closely, right? Don't look uh, at that. But no, I mean, look, here's the reality. New York City can set itself up as a club to play within the confines of that pitch to mm -hmm. their advantage. I don't think it's a coincidence that the two home matches they have played at Red Bull Arena this year, they've lost both of them. Now, Saturday against New England, 
was a really wide open, entertaining match. Yep. There was a penalty saved by Matt Turner. It could have been 3-3. New York City even had chances to win that match. Yeah. Terrific match. Very entertaining. So it's not like New York City is playing these home matches at Red Bull and they're getting trucked. It's not that way at all. But I feel like if there is an advantage in playing on this pitch, as opposed to Yankee Stadium tonight, the advantage is in the hands of Atlanta United. Because as you have talked about in such great detail over the last three or four months, the way that Heinze wants this team to play is as wide as possible. Yeah. With a wider pitch. Like, honestly, I would be very curious to see how Heinze would set his team up <laughs> yes. to play at Yankee Stadium. In a perverse way, really I'm, I am really excited to, to potentially yeah. see that at someday. I we I think the only way we could see it this year is if it's in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, this is the only road match in New York City this year for Atlanta United. But that that would be very, very fascinating to see. <laughs> Uh, we're not going to see that tonight. But are you with me that if one team's going to benefit from playing at Red Bull tonight, it would be Atlanta United? Yeah, I think so. I think it's just not what New York City is is 100% accustomed to. I, I do think playing on a wider field is a good thing for New York City in the way that they want to play. They've, they've found under Vieira and under Toronto in the past a hybrid way of being a team that wants the ball but playing in a bandbox. They, they found a way to do that. Um, they'd be better suited in the long term to play on a real pitch like most teams that want the ball would, but it's a hard back and forth to deal with for them at times. I think that's one reason why at times they've struggled on the road because it's so different. Uh, they also won't get much of a home field bump tonight. They won't get much of that advantage from their, their fan base. It hasn't been you know, received very well with New York City playing at Red Bull Arena. And I think that's unfair because there's really not much else they can do at this point, especially this year with the the season schedule being announced after Major League Baseball where the Yankees had priority at the stadium and you weren't able to work together to make it fit. One schedule's done, the other one then is being made. Well, there's only so many dates and you're going to have to be at home Sometimes when the Yankees are and there's nowhere to go, not much else that NYC as a club could do. I think maybe the their supporters being down on that, it's a little unfair dealing with a pandemic and all the changes that have caused it last year, too. I mean, it didn't really matter. Why, why pay uh, at least six figures to convert the field to play at Yankee Stadium on a regular basis when you're not going to have fans anyway? So, like, things like that, I think, are – a little silly, but it shows just generally the situation that New York City is in. They are trying to make progress on building a stadium. They need a stadium badly. It's a, a thing that the league needs them to find and get sorted out. They should have an update here very soon on the next steps with the venue that they have been working diligently on. Progress was delayed due to the pandemic. They are about to get an update, I think, in the next 30 to 45 days, although it sounds like maybe there could be another delay here. It's very close to Yankee Stadium. That needs to happen, so these things don't happen. And then I think New York City is that club that maybe goes under the radar when we talk about big clubs in this league because of their situation. I think Atlanta and New York City is a great rivalry because it's two teams that are ambitious and want the ball and bring in talented players but New York City playing at Yankee Stadium, it's not that appealing. It just isn't. It, it doesn't suit them. It doesn't suit the game. It doesn't suit this league and where it's going. And it's something they're going to have to resolve sooner rather than later. 
Well, at least they are working on it. Uh, but that's a good point um, that maybe we don't think of this series in the same way as we do the Red Bulls or Orlando or Toronto because going up to Yankee Stadium is just not soccer the way it's meant mm -hmm. to be. And Atlanta United's gotten some phenomenal results up there at Yankee Stadium, but man, it is so difficult for Atlanta United to kind of contort itself into a team that uh, that could play favorably at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. Uh, Doug Levine says, weird question, but what do we know about our coach tonight? Now, if you don't know by now, I'm sure you probably do if you're watching us, but if not, um, I was unaware that in MLS, in fact, the rule even states that coaches and team officials are held to a higher standard than players. Players are suspended after their fifth yellow card of the season. Coaches and team officials are suspended after their third yellow card of the season. Heinze received his third yellow of the season this past Sunday in the Philadelphia match. Thought that the referee, Ted Uncle, by the way, was talked in to giving that yellow yeah. card by Kai Wagner. But that's beside the point. Uh, so Heinze is not going to be allowed on the touchline tonight. He is allowed to travel, but I don't think he's allowed in the dressing room, and I know for sure he's not allowed on the touchline. Mariano Toedli is going to act as head coach tonight. Uh, so Doug wants to know, what do we know about him? Um, the one thing, the one very little thing I know about him is that he's been with Heinze for a long time and was with him at Velez, made the move to Atlanta, uh, with Heinze from Velez. So obviously they have a very strong working relationship. And beyond that, uh, and we can get into some of the stuff that Bello talked about yesterday, but I, I really don't think there's going to be any difference tonight uh, with Toedley running the team as opposed to Heinze. No, there shouldn't be. Um, he's been with Gabriel Heinze everywhere he's been as a coach. I mean, even back to the the very short stint at Godoy Cruz in 2015, they were together there. Argentinos, when they won the second division in Argentina, he was with him there. He left with him and then ended up at, at Velez with him. So he's a, a trusted right-hand man. He's going to see the game in the same way. Of course, everybody has little differences. And, and I would imagine that Gabriel Heinze would be a manager who would like to have free thinkers with him, people who are going to challenge him from time to time and, and say, hey, try this. Hey, look at this. Hey, think about it this way. Heinze is going to make those decisions. Well, tonight, Toedley's going to make those decisions, and he's going to be in a position to, to trust himself. Because the game plan comes in, nothing changes with that. They're going to play the same way they always play. That's what they've worked on. Total belief in, in the system and the philosophy. But as we know, I mean, things happen in a game. You know, if there's a first-half injury and you have to make a substitution that was completely unexpected, you know, what button do you push? If you need changes late in the game to, to either close it down or, or try to open it up and win it, what buttons do you push? Because now it's going to be Toetley instead of giving advice, making that decision. But they come at the game from the same approach. Uh, Toetley was a striker in his playing days, um, as opposed to Heinze being a, a defender in his playing days. Um, didn't quite reach the, the same heights, but had a, a, a long career where he played in Argentina he played in Spain as well. He finished his career at Cadiz in, in 2010. He played for Sevilla, um, spent time with Huracan in, in Argentina. Um, uh, a guy who is very well known and respected in coaching circles in Argentina and a guy who's been loyal to Heinze consistently. So 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think we'll see anything different outside of, of a substitution. It could be like, oh, okay, that's how he sees it. Okay, cool. It could be something like that. That's really about it. I think the energy yeah. will be the same. And and Heinze is not going to be like uh, Miguel Herrera in some <laughs> corner of Red Bull Arena on a walkie-talkie. He'll be I, much I better if he needs to be doing something like that. I'm sure he'll have much better methods. I, I would I would hope so. I mean, I, I would hope... As a head coach, you, as you just said, you would have a staff below you yeah. that you would feel very confident in taking over for you if something happened. Um, you know, it's like with our thing, what we do, Jason. I mean, if, if I got sick, I feel very confident that Jason could step in and do a, a great job filling in for me on play-by-play. Um, it's just you want to have that working relationship. That's what – that's what bothered me about the Miguel Herrera thing, by the way, a couple months ago, more than anything else, is what kind of statement does that make to the people who work under you? Yeah. That you don't yeah. trust them enough to be able to figure it out on their own. And that yeah. you have to be on some crazy walkie-talkie to tell your assistants what they know to be doing anyway. Uh, I don't want to work for a guy like that. So, anyhow. Um, it's it's a it's a weird situation when those things happen. Um, the one time I remember being in in a moment like that, I was not on the staff, but I was the operations director. Uh, Silverbacks reserves are playing in an Open Cup qualifier with Chattanooga, and our manager was sent off, and he was sent to the booth. So I was in the, the press box in one side. He gets sent up to the booth in the other side. Uh, it's in extra time. It's going to penalties. Well, he, he wrote down because he couldn't call down to the bench because that was frowned upon by the referees. He wrote down what he wanted the penalty order to be, which is a really specific thing. I can understand if the assistant hasn't thought of that. This makes sense. Well, he couldn't take it down there to him, so I have to get it. I'm running down the steps at, at Finley Stadium in Chattanooga to try to get it there. I get down to the main level, and Chattanooga scored in the 119th minute. Ah. So. But, yeah, those are the crazy things that can happen in these situations. I thought you were going to say the fourth official was going to slap your hand away as you were no, reaching over. No, I was completely fine. I could have done that. He couldn't have done that, but I could have done that. Well, uh, hopefully – that situation would never come up because uh, no penalties tonight. Know. So we're good. I, well, I, I, I'm just saying down the road in a playoff <laughs> game or a final saying like, the last thing I want to see is a game determined by that, a meaningful game. Hey, Go ahead and keep it, sending us your questions yes. and comments at the bottom of your screen, by the way, we'll get into Red Bulls. If you want, we can talk about the Philadelphia match. We can talk about club news or anything like that going on. Whatever's on your mind, send us questions, comments at the bottom of your screen. Eddie wants to know when are we going to travel to games again? Uh, it's sounding hopefully, better. Hopefully soon. Hopefully. Um, I don't want to get too far into it because a lot of people are working very, very hard behind the scenes to get the league to come around to the solution that it's time to allow radio broadcasters to travel again. And that's pretty much all I'll say. The team and people working for the team are working very, very hard to convince Major League Soccer of that. So it's, it's hopefully tricky. Soon. We're seeing it change with other sports, too. I mean, baseball's getting back to it now with travel. Um, we saw the team travel not day of the game like they had been doing this season. They're, they were allowed to travel yesterday in a normal sense, so that, that feels like things are getting back to normal. Um, it's just getting to a point where 
it, it really doesn't make sense to have that protocol and it's just figuring out the next step. So the, well, you know, we've been lucky that, that the people who, you know, we work for and work with, with the, with Atlanta United have really had our backs and have been working hard to, to get us back on the road and get us back calling games from venues. Yeah. We really appreciate that because we feel we can do a better job when we're on site. Yeah, so yeah. maybe as soon as next week in Chicago, we don't know. One thing I am hearing is that, you know, it's kind of on a week by week basis now, how the protocols are changing. Yeah. And one of the questions that I know some of the clubs in the league have right now is, um, is commercial travel going to start back up again for the teams? Uh, which creates another logistical challenge, obviously, if you're trying to book flights uh, and, and suddenly you find out that, that charters are not mandated because I believe the league has been paying the bill on those charter flights. So um, it, things are going to get different and start to really evolve now for the teams uh, as we go through the summer, I believe. Um, but tonight we'll be in Atlanta, and uh, hopefully, I'm hoping, knock on wood, this is the last road game we have to call from Atlanta, but I don't know. Um, you want to talk at all about what happened against Philadelphia? Yeah, we, uh, we, we haven't really gotten into it yet. You know, it, it's, it's funny in a way because I feel like if you look at the Nashville match and if you look at the Philadelphia match, the last two home matches that Atlanta United has played, and, and maybe this is a sign of how things are getting close or closer. You know, the first 80 minutes of the Nashville match might have been the best Atlanta United's played all year. The first 83 minutes of the Philadelphia match, uh, really up to the second goal by Walks, I thought Atlanta United was playing well. I thought Philadelphia was better than Nashville. But mm -hmm. I thought, again, Atlanta United was playing well. They were not out of control of the match at any point uh, in the first 80-some minutes of the match. Uh Things are really starting to connect now in the final third. I think we saw some, some elements maybe off the training ground that we haven't seen yet, particularly on corners and set pieces. thought Brooks Lennon was phenomenal. Eight key passes, 11 corners. Sosa, I thought, very, very good again. So, like, feels like they're getting closer. But you, you just really hate leaving your home building with a draw when you have a two-goal lead with about 10 minutes or even a little less than that to play. And it can be very easy to get very negative on the the big picture of what's going on because that's kind of the last taste in your mouth. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean what happened in the buildup to those two Philadelphia goals and those two Nashville goals. It doesn't mean that what happened before that didn't occur. No, not at all. Um 12 shots, five on target against Nashville, and then 20 shots, six on target against Philadelphia. That's good production. The The attack is is hitting on more cylinders than they were previously, and, and the Philadelphia game with no Joseph Martinez up top, it was still doing that. Brooks Lennon getting heavily involved in the attack against Philadelphia. George Bellow was heavily involved in the attack against Nashville. Um the outside backs getting forward, such a huge element of this team. No problems with any of that. You're getting better and better performances from Eric Lopez, in my opinion. I think as he gets more confident. Um, it's a situation where you've got to start producing even more. And, and look, the easy thing to say is you have a two-goal lead, just shut it down, be defensive. 
that's not how Gabriel Heinze is going to approach it. He's going to try to find goal number three. Go get goal number three. Because if, if you find goal number three, these games are done. Both of them are done. Uh, Nashville's not coming back. Philadelphia's not coming back from three down. They're just not. There's not enough time for that. So that's the way this team's going to play. You know, a lot of the the arguments that I've been getting as as I've broken this down on, on full-time report and then this week on soccer down here, a lot of the pushback is, you know, well, they should they should defend deeper. They should do this. I'm like, that's not my, what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is this is how they play. These are the mistakes that are happening within that construct. They are going to play Gabriel Heinze's game. He's not going to deviate from that. He's made that clear. He's made that clear throughout his career. He fully believes and is fully confident, and his staff is as well, and obviously the club is because they hired him to do that here. He's going to play his game. His game is not one of being defensive. That's just that's fact. So the idea that, well, they should do this, that has nothing to do with the conversation. They're not going to do that. So what can they do better in the way that they play? Keep going to goal. Get more goals. Two. Great. Get three. It, that sounds simple, but yeah, you get a third goal, game over. Period. You can also be more switched on late in games. And a lot of this is young players in moments of adversity, moments of pressure that they haven't dealt with in their careers, making some mistakes. And that's okay. That happens. That's life. That's part of the development process. You expect them to make fewer mistakes as you go. What did Gabriel Heinze say at the beginning of the year? I feel like we, we need to work on the Tao of Heinze at some point here because <laughs> he, he tells you a lot. And right. I don't know if it always gets picked up on. Um, he said, we need to play games. When there were questions about things early, he's like, we need to play games. We need to make mistakes because that's how you learn. Santiago Sosa made a mistake on the first goal. Made a mistake on the second goal. He, he's made some mistakes here in key moments. He's played brilliantly in the overwhelming run of play. He's made a few mistakes. He's 21. He hasn't played those, those kinds of minutes in those kinds of games for River Plate on a regular basis. He's now learning what it means to close out that game. Jake Mulraney caught ball watching a little bit. Jackson Conway caught ball watching a little bit. These are players who are in a, in a situation where they are being put on an edge and they have to learn how to play in that way. And they're going to have some missteps. That's okay. I've always felt like this process with Gabriel Heinze was a two-year process. It is embed the way that they play, believe in it, and I think these players absolutely believe in playing this way. It is a fun way to play. It's a fun way to call a game. It's a fun way to watch a game, in my opinion. It is high tempo, high energy, always positive. Okay. To play that way, there are some things you have to do to limit risk. You have to stay switched on. You have to make sure you win your battles. And generally, Atlanta's done a really good job of winning their battles in matches. The, the dual success rate for Atlanta, they're over 50%. It's ninth in the league. It's very good. It's a lot better than New York City's. They're 24th. They're doing a lot of the right things. But here at the end of these last two games, there have been, I want to say even a lot of mistakes. There's been a few mistakes 
that they have been punished on. And I think the one to show being punished is the Glessonist goal, you know, more than anything, because it is such a low percentage hit. And that was the right play. After the play broke down, after Glessonist was able to take a touch forward and have a go from 35, it was the right play for the rest of the team to stay, stay with their marks and not collapse on the ball because then Glessness slipping a pass into Burke or to Shabilko is a much higher percentage play. Stay with your marks. Try not to give up the shot to begin with, but stay with your marks and force him to hit a perfect shot from 35 yards. Well, he did. Probably won't ever do it again in his career. <laughs> I know he did a he did a free kick. Yes, that's a whole different thing, whole different situation. And two goals doesn't mean he's a, a threat from thirty five yards because if he was, Jim Curtin would be setting him up for thirty five yard shots all day long. And no, right? Nobody does that. <laughs> nobody does that. They just need to continue to learn from these mistakes. It's it's not a eighty nine thirty game. It's a ninety minute game. It's just they have to continue. Sometimes it's a 104 minutes like it was against Philadelphia with all the stoppage time. That's just the process. And that's how Heinze is going to play. And you can say that he should do something different. He will disagree with you. And he will believe in the work that he's doing because look at what he's produced over his time as a manager, continually getting better, continually improving. And this is a, a little bit different job. Because, yes, there are expectations here that I think are different than they were at Villa Sarsfield. And he's still learning, too. But he believes in what he's doing. And I think you're seeing the progress of it. They are looking better and better and better every time we see this team right now. All right. Some more questions have come in. Eric, um, looking at the monitor, Germany and Hungary are, are getting set to start. We talked about Sweden and Poland, but Eric wants to know what we think about Copa America. And in particular, uh, he wants to know our thoughts on Atlanta United or former Atlanta United players and how they're doing in Copa America. Ronald Hernandez has gotten what he needs to get out of this tournament already, yeah. uh, which is playing time and um, a really key goal. For them as well yeah. this past yeah. what was it sunday? sunday so that's the biggest thing is that goal because he, he hasn't been getting a ton of time but he's going to come back a much more confident player and, and that was the issue at at aberdeen for him is he had no confidence because he was in a weird place dealing with a pandemic and uh, it was brutal for him a young player and now he gets into a club that is is more Latin American by nature. He's got, you know, a compatriot in, in Joseph Martinez from Venezuela. He's got other South Americans in the team. It's more comfortable, but he's got to get his play back up. And, and we've seen him with Atlanta United too, and he's been okay. He's shown his quality, just not consistently enough. And look, you haven't needed him to be the best right back in the league because you might have the best right back in the league in Brooks Linden. But you'd like to be able to give him minutes with the first team from time to time. His goal against Ecuador in the 91st minute, you know, he came on in the 77th and got them a draw. Venezuela's hanging around right now. They, they might get into the knockout rounds. Not a definite. I think we'll know a lot more after the game on the 27th against Peru. That's almost a play-in game for those two because if Peru wins that, Venezuela won't be going to the next round. So Venezuela has an opportunity in front of them, but they've got to get a win there. If they don't, then we could possibly 
possibly depending on rules that we don't know where they are currently about <laughs> quarantines coming back in. I've seen a bunch of people talk about this with players coming back and nobody seems to know. Philadelphia doesn't seem to know about the uh, Hungarian midfielder that they have, Gazdag, who got injured and it looks like he's going to be all right, but they don't know what the process is. <laughs> that was the reporting out of Philly. So we don't know. Um, if there is a 10-day quarantine, then we wouldn't see them until July 8th if they go out on the 27th. Um, if there's not, it still would be unlikely we would see them start in Chicago, uh, Joseph Martinez and Ronald Hernandez. I think it's far more likely that we see them in the mix for July 8th in Nashville. That's kind of the has, date I've had marked down. Has there been any additional reporting on Joseph's health situation right I now? I don't think there was ever a concern about health, but I do. I mean, it's he tested positive because he hasn't been in the mix. Um, I think we can draw that, that line. I mean, I don't think it was ever officially confirmed. Uh, but he has posted pictures of being with his teammates. So I'm assuming whatever isolation period he had is done or he tested negative, whatever amount of times he had to. Um, Conmo Ball is not exactly being clear on these sorts of things with the Copa America. So, and Venezuela is yeah. not being clear either in their communication. So uh, I don't know. How have you liked the tournament, by the way, so far? What's that? How have you liked the tournament so far? Um, it's been about what I expected. It's been not as open on the field as the Euros. Uh, I think you're, you're running into some tired legs with these teams. I think the format of it hasn't really lent itself to a lot of open play because four out of five teams in each group go into a knockout. I think the knockouts will be a blast. Uh, the intensity yeah. has been great because you've got a lot of teams that have played each other a lot of times over the years and don't really care for one another. The, the tackles that were flying in in Argentina and Paraguay, whew, and not even getting fouls called, let alone cards. Um, I'm a ball guy. Football, I guess, though, right? That's just how it is. Uh, Miguel Almiron was dangerous in that game at times. Um, Paraguay has been pretty good so far in, in this tournament. Um, we'll look at it really quick here. Actually, that's pulling up World Cup qualifiers, um, which is, has been any other thing about this is, is some of these teams have played five games this month. So, you know, they had two World Cup qualifiers before they came into the Copa America. Uh, Paraguay's got a win and a loss. They've got two games left. Uh, Uruguay's been a disappointment in the tournament. Chile's been a bit of a surprise. Argentina has been good enough, not great. Brazil's been really good, and they're the favorites for sure. Bolivia's been about what you would expect Bolivia to be. Colombia was a disappointment in their last match, a loss to Peru, which nobody saw coming. Um, Ecuador's been the one that's maybe been the biggest disappointment, but they're also playing a lot of young players right now, almost looking ahead to the World Cup qualifiers in the fall, getting young guys ready for that, where they are in a good position. That's the other thing here is I think a lot of teams outside of Brazil and Argentina don't really expect to be a team that can win this. So some of them are looking ahead and giving players opportunities here to see if they can contribute in the qualifiers in the fall as opposed to fielding first choice, no question. Um, and then you have the Colombian situation where there was this back and forth with James Rodriguez about – should he be part of the team? They didn't feel like he'd be healthy. Everton gave the sign-off that he was fully fit and ready to go. 
then he started doing, I think, either Facebook Live videos or YouTube videos, trash-talking his manager about not picking him, and then they lose. So then now it's, it's of course, madness in Columbia. Uh, just one minor nitpick, by the way, on my part. Uh, it's been great to have the TV coverage on Fox and FS1. Matches have been easily accessible. For the love of God, though, those score bugs look awful. Oh, I Please. like it. No, oh, horrible. I like it. It looks, like, it looks like it was done on MS Paint. Ah, it's better than that. It was at least done on no. like Pixlr. Str- yeah, pi- okay. Yeah, so we're on the same page. <laughs> uh, horrible. Make oh. them legible. Please. Fox. Hate it. Hate it, hate it, hate it. That's not it. Fox, actually. That's the world feed coming out of Comma Ball. Really? Yeah. All right, well, Comma Ball then. Fix it. Yeah. Someone fix it. Yeah. Make it legible. That one's not Terrible. Fox's fault. All right. Uh, Shiva wants to know, as we move along this season, do we think this team needs a leader on the field to prevent mistakes? It's an easy thing to zero in on. Um, I think they have leaders. I think they are in a little bit different situation than they've been in the past where, you know, there's not a Michael Parker. There's not a Jeff Lorenowitz who were more on the quiet leadership side, probably, more influential in things that you didn't see, like in training and, and situations like that. Um, there's not the more fiery leaders like a, a Leandro Gonzalez Perez, a Carlos Carmona in year one. Um, Joseph will be that, I think, as Joseph, uh, which you know would have been great if he'd been able to play more with Venezuela and and build his confidence back, but I think he's pretty close in that. He'll he'll be part of that, but he's in the attack, which is a little bit different situation. I think it's 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 a little bit of that time needed, you know. I mean, Miles Robinson, his personality is emerging into where I think he can be a leader and be a vocal leader. We're seeing him kind of step out a little bit more into the limelight, which is good to see. Um, Alan Franco, I think, could be a leader with this group. I do. I don't know about Santi Sosa yet. I mean, he's he's young. He's younger than a lot of these guys around him at times. So I, I think that's a process for him. Maybe he's not quite there yet in his career. Brooks Lennon maybe is one of those guys. He definitely is by example, but can he be more of a vocal leader as well? Potentially. I, I think some of that stuff just takes time with a group that's all really young. I mean, you look across that back line, like, you know, Bellow's still a kid. Lennon's not old by any stretch. Robinson's not either. Uh, Walks is maybe one of the more seasoned ones of the group. Franco is too. And I mean, they're, you're talking 24, you know, uh, Sosa's 21. So uh, it's kind of natural that there wouldn't be a, a veteran leader in that group right now. I think one will emerge. And I, I really look at Miles Robinson in a lot of ways. Yeah, I I agree. It, it's generally going to be a player in your spine. Yeah. And uh, Miles is obviously a huge part of the spine of this team. A uh, couple more comments. Uh, Bruno says, "A Peru will win." Uh, <laughs> Probably they should beat Venezuela. Yeah. Well, I know. I, I he says Peru will win it. Maybe he's calling for the Whoa. whole tournament. That would be a major upset. That'd that be would huge. be that would be Lester times ten uh, if yes. that happens. Uh, Bruno also wants to know, do you think we're going to lose Barco this summer? It's so hard to call because of the windows and because of the, the market right now. Um, 
they were talking about this a little bit this morning out of Europe where like PSG is one of the few teams that is like, sure, here's a checkbook, write in a number. Here you go. Right. Um, they, PSG could be re-upping Neymar, re-upping Mbappe, signing Sergio Ramos on a free. Uh, there's been talk about them trying to go after Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, it's chaos. Outside of them, there's not a lot of teams that are spending a whole lot of money right now because of a year and a half of, of COVID expenditures and lack of revenue. It, it's tough. Also, the way the windows line up, because I do think Barco will go to the Olympics with Argentina, that's not going to conclude until after the MLS incoming window is closed. Now, Atlanta could, if they truly believe that he will go in a, in a European window, because I don't think he's going to go back to South America. That wouldn't make sense for his career. Um, maybe a Brazilian team comes in with money, but I don't think there's anybody in a position to, to spend the kind of money that Atlanta would want. Maybe Atlanta has the room, the flexibility, can figure it out to get their replacement, if they want it right now, in before the window closes, knowing Barco would go on the other side. I don't know. I don't know if that's possible. Um, it's tough. I mean, in a perfect world, you would move Barco before the Olympics, but after the Olympics is when his value could be the most. So you're not going to do that. I don't know if it lines up well this time. Um, it could, but it's so unpredictable. I would not say yes to that. What I will say is, if the right opportunity presents itself, and that's an if, that's a big if, yes, they, they could do that, absolutely. If he goes and has a good Olympics, if they feel like they're good enough in the roster as it stands now and they don't want to wait where, you know, if he's hot after the Olympics, let's say he goes and has a great tournament and he's, he's a hot commodity and somebody comes in with an offer that you feel like might decrease in January, I would... I would think they would do it. I would, because the depth is pretty good with this team right now. And it's not ideal to sell somebody like that at that time, but you might not have a better chance to do it. Coincidentally, we talk about how Miles' personality as a leader is starting to emerge. Kind of feels to me like Barco's the same. I agree. And I really, really like the way he handled himself on yesterday's press conference, which... Um, I think Atlanta United might have it posted to their YouTube. I'm not possible, but I, I'm not positive, but I really, really like what I'm hearing from Barco. Some of the, uh, the intangible kind of body language things that I'm mm -hmm. seeing from Barco. Um, and I, I don't know if maybe he feels more empowered to do it under Heinze than maybe he did under a prior manager, but I, I just, I get a really positive feel for what Barco is trying to do now. Uh, even at his very, very young age, to try to be one of the leaders, especially among the forwards on this team. Uh, and that's been really cool to see evolve, I think, over it. one of the, the really neat things to evolve over the course of the entire season so far has been that. Because I think Barco, especially when he came here in 2018, young kid, maybe a little overwhelmed with adapting to the United States adapting to playing, but not that Independiente was a small club, but adapting to playing for a, you know, a, a Titan club like Atlanta United, who plays in front of 70,000 fans of this enormous stadium. And it, it just feels to me, Jason, like Barco now, from a personal standpoint, 
is as comfortable as he's ever been here in Atlanta. And coincidentally, now you're you're getting close to the point where you're going to be looking at selling him, which, you know, I, that's soccer. But yeah. it's been fun for me to see that. That's the nature of it. I mean, he walked into a team that had Miguel Almiron as that centerpiece on the ball, had Joseph Martinez as that big figure, had Leandro Gonzalez-Pierez uh, as one of the, the leaders of the Latin American contingent. Um, he was the kid, and he was coming off the biggest year in his career, a year that a, a lot of players have never had that kind of a year where you know, he broke into the team, he became a focal point at Independiente, he converted on a penalty in the Sudamericana final to help them win that, winning an international trophy, and then immediately like being you know, dropped into a transfer saga and then moving. That's tough. That's, that's a lot. And then he started to have some injuries, and he never had those at Independiente. So that gets in your head, too, when you're a young player. I'm with you. I feel like he's starting to become more comfortable in his own skin. And that's good to see. It will serve him well. And I, I, I wish that could have happened here sooner. I, I wish he maybe could have been more influential in that regard sooner. But it's also a process. You know, right. a lot of the guys that we mentioned that were those leaders when he first came are not here anymore. So it is an opportunity for him to be more of a leader within the group. And you've got guys who are here now who watched his trajectory and are probably asking him, you know, how do I deal with this? You know, Franco Ibarra, Santiago Sosa, you know, guys who are coming in like, hey, you've been through this. Tell me how you handled it. That changes you a little bit. When people start to ask you that, you start to become a mentor to others. I think Barco's taken that on really well. And I hope he finishes strong here, however long that is. I hope it. You know, I hope it's for a while. But if the the time is right to make a move and it fits for him and it fits for everybody, I hope he finishes strong here because I I, re, I really love his game and I hate that we haven't seen enough of it on a regular basis. It's not all his fault. I just I, I hope that it goes well for him because those kinds of players don't come along every day, and, and I want to see him thrive at the highest levels. Be good for him, and it would be good for the club, yeah. too. All right. Tonight, Star 94. Star 94. Help pass it along, please. Star 94 tonight. 7 o'clock will be the Five Stripes countdown. 7.30 will be uh, the kickoff or a little after 7.30, I guess, from Red Bull Arena. Star 94, the Odyssey app, the Atlanta United app, uh, all that's the same. And then Sunday, we're on 92.9. It'll be 3 o'clock for the Five Stripes Countdown. 3.30 or thereabouts, the kickoff. Atlanta United and New York Red Bulls. That'll be on 92.9. But if you can, please help us spread the word. Uh, it's great for the Hawks, by the way. Yeah, I'm even wearing my Hawks shirt. Go Hawks. <laughs> uh, but they're going to be on 92.9 tonight. So uh, Jason and I will be on Star 7 o'clock. We're going to see you on the radio for that. And we'll be back with you next Wednesday, 2 p.m., for another edition of Stop It's Time as we look back at these two New York matches and we look ahead to a matchup at Soldier Field in Chicago. Talk to you all tonight on Star 94 and on the Odyssey app and on the Atlanta United app. And then we'll be back with you on the weekend and we'll be back here next week to break all of it down. Have a good rest of the day. We'll talk to you soon. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.